Greetings and welcome back to episode number 58 of the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Today I have Roxy Prima and Phoebe Cornog. Together they make Pander Design Co. And we talk about what it's like to own a business as a full-time muralist, muralist duo really, and what their goals are for their muraling business for 2022 and beyond, as well as what advice they wanted to give to all of you if you're considering that avenue for yourself. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Kiss my aesthetic branding marketing entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build brag worthy brands through visual identity design and social media. You're in the right spot for branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. So enjoy the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm so excited to have Phoebe and Roxy of Pander Design Co. on the pod today. Hey, ladies. Hello. Hello. And we're all coming from different locations, so I have to know where you guys are coming in from. Oh, we're just both at home right now. We actually both have COVID right now, so just chilling at home here in San Diego. Well, the best part about that is you can still do podcasts, so yeah, <laughs> I guess it works out. It works out. So for anyone who doesn't know you guys and what you do, can you give us just the brief rundown of what Pander is and how you got to here, basically? We are a design and mural business. Um, both of us have backgrounds in graphic design and got into muraling about seven years ago. And yeah, we work with brands to create some custom artwork for their spaces, both indoor and outdoors. And now also authors, right? Right. That too. <laughs> authors, workshops. We have a lot of things that we do. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have a lot going on. And I think it's been so wonderful kind of watching you over the last few years since I started following you guys and seeing how much you've been able to grow your brand. And also you rebranded because you started as San Diego Letters, right? Yeah. So we made the switch like probably at least five years ago at this point, but we actually started our quote unquote business, San Diego Letters, as just a meetup group in San Diego back in 2015, just getting creatives together in our city. And we were hosting monthly events and found that we worked really well together. And so we just kind of started taking on freelance projects under San Diego Letters. And then we both quit our full-time jobs and started doing it full-time. And since we already had that name, we just kept it for a little bit. But We expanded pretty quickly um, to doing work outside of San Diego, and so it just didn't really make sense to keep that name. Yeah, totally. And that rebrand evolution, I feel like, also came with you guys doing a lot of education content and like educating artists and everything like that. And I know you do that a lot from each of your TikTok accounts, your Instagram account, your workshops, all that kind of stuff. And I really want to get into that today. But one of the first questions I want to ask you, because you guys were both art majors, graphic design majors in that way, so was I was the kind of starving artist stereotype that kind of flutters around when you tell people that you were an art major. I was the only one of my friend group that was a major in fine arts and art history. Everybody else was like communications, political science, business. And that's definitely, unfortunately, still very alive is that stereotype. Did you guys face that when you were in your early years in college or just after college? Yeah, I think for me, Roxy and I, uh, contrary to popular belief, we didn't grow up <laughs> together. So um, right. I have a, we have different experiences. I grew up on the East Coast and um, it's like very like Ivy League like or die kind of like very intense college culture. I mean, I think it is a lot of places, but definitely where I grew up. So 
Um, going to art school was was not really pushed, but luckily, like I have, I'm privileged. Like I have supportive parents, and they were all for it. But when it came to choosing a major, I had no idea. I knew I wanted to do art, but I didn't know what. And people just said, "Oh, you'll make money being a graphic designer rather than a fine artist." So. I was just like, cool, I'll put that down as my major. And luckily ended up actually like really liking it. But I mean, that could have not been the case. So I guess I, yeah, my stars aligned, it worked out. Um, and then, you know, when you graduate, you just kind of assume that, you know, you're, you'll get like a, f- a fine graphic design job, but it's never going to be like, you're not going to be a millionaire or anything. Right. That was kind of the sentiment around my major as well. Was it the same for you, Roxy? Yeah. You know, when I went to art school, um, I tended to see that from even my teachers saying like, well, just know, like, you know, you could do creative stuff, but you're never going to make a lot of money, which I definitely had issues with even back then. Like I didn't think that I personally would like make money or be successful, but I didn't like that. Just like, oh, you're automatically not going to be able to make money doing this unless you're like a famous famous artist or designer or whatever. And I think it's just like a, a weird romanticizing that people have with art. Like you only are truly dedicated to your art and making art unless you're not making any money. And like, that's just such a terrible way of looking at what we do because it's like, we should be the people that believe that art has value more than anybody else. Otherwise no one else is going to. So teachers, if you're listening, Get your act together. (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. And really, if you think about it, it's kind of historically inaccurate. If you think like Renaissance high artists, they were still being paid by the church, by the nobility, et cetera. Like there was a certain level of, like I love the story of Rembrandt, like bringing his own prints to market. He was notoriously broke for like his whole life because he was kind of a hot mess, but he was doing the prints and then was like changing one thing of the print so that every single print could be a one-of-one original (laughs) And so he wouldn't like (laughs) drive down the value of each print and then like took control of which ones he brought to market. Like, I think that that conversation of artists being in control of their income is again, like not talked about enough, which is why I'm so glad we're all talking about it on TikTok and Instagram now, but also like really an exciting way to rethink that because it was that idea that if you were making money off your art, you were like a sellout. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy to think about. Yeah. Or like you're, your art's only going to be valuable after you're dead. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't have the ability to market yourself or present your value while you're still alive, like what is the point? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just a skill, just like any other skill, it deserves being compensated for fairly. I know you guys feel really strongly about design (laughs) competitions. I do as well. Um, And creatives that really undercharge for their work, right? Because it's really easy, especially as a young person, to like come straight out of school and not really know because it's not very obvious what your path is oftentimes. But how much of the content that you guys share online, like, have you focused on kind of lifting that curtain and pulling back to kind of show people like, no, this is actually what we do and what we make and how we send proposals and accept bids. I think that that's the content that I resonate most with because I was just going to see it be like, yeah, get them girls. (laughs) Like, I can just (laughs) cheer you guys on. So was there a shift in that or have you always kind of hit the ground running knowing that that was part of your angle? Not even angle, but part of the stuff you wanted to share. I think the pandemic helped really dial that in because we were just, you know, we had a lot of time to sit with with our goals and um, aspirations. But 
Um, I think it's always kind of been there. We didn't realize how much it was needed until obviously we got more into the business side of things. Um, yeah, when we when we were first starting out as muralists, there there really wasn't those resources out there, and it wasn't as open. Uh, like, there's plenty of tools and resources for learning the craft. Actually, not really for muraling, but for at least for lettering and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, not much of the business side. So. I feel like we just keep growing and adding to it because we're realizing, oh, like we're getting a lot of questions about this. All right. That means we need to put out another resource and another resource. And it's just been really wonderful. Yeah. We've always really valued transparency because when we started painting murals, you know, we got an opportunity to paint our first mural back. They reached out to us at the end of 2015. And we asked some people that we knew that painted murals, what do you charge for murals? And literally no one would give us an answer. No one would even give us any ballpark, nothing, because they were probably insecure about their pricing or they just weren't knew they weren't charging enough. And so we just saw how like that just doesn't help anyone in our industry. So we just like took an oath to always be transparent because it helps all of us. Like, you know, we went so far as making a secret email like for a fake business and emailing a bunch of our quote unquote competitors, community, whatever. And they finally, some did give us numbers, but the range was so insane that it's like, wow, this is actually really scary. Only because we were coming at them as a client. So when they're forced to give a quote to a client, but not to a peer, it just, it's funny. Well, and I think we're, we're all around the same age and all are at this point where the internet for entrepreneurship actually became more of a community support group in a lot of ways. Like I think that Mm -hmm. this podcast is a great example of that. I started it because I wanted a reason to reach out to people that were in my industry and just have conversation with them that wasn't bordering on the, you know, like, can I pick your brain? Like I didn't want it to be that conversation, but it needed to be mutually beneficial, but really just to open the door for conversation and share each other's resources and wins and struggles and all those things. And I think that there is such it's so refreshing that there's such a community over competition vibe, but that also you can see how somebody would be like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to tell my competitor my rates, but then yeah, if you're going to tell a client, then like, who cares? That information can just exist out there. Mm -hmm. So how does that kind of drive where you're going now? So now you've got the muraling business, you've got the book, you've got the workshops, you've got your pander brand, right? And now you guys have set some pretty like high in the sky goals of doing a mural in all 50 states and I'm sure loads of other goals. So how does that help to motivate you to keep moving forward? Um, Well, yeah, a lot of our goals come down to financial goals. And especially with this year, this past year, Phoebe and I have both like our bodies are actually hurting from painting murals. So we, we know that there is a very, very significant timeline of like how long we can actually be physically doing this. So for us, we want to break seven figures this year and we want to keep, you know, increasing our revenue because there isn't that huge long-term longevity for painting murals for us. So like if we were able to retire in 10 years with like a large sum for retirement, that would be great as opposed to like being 80 years old, trying to paint a mural, you know, um, (laughs) like we honestly, until this past year, hadn't really invested in our retirement or thought about it because we've still felt like 
we just got to keep moving forward. We got to keep building, keep building, keep building. But then when you start realizing like, okay, this can't actually be forever. We need to like set ourselves up for financial success when we actually cannot be doing that. So we've been working with our financial advisors and accountants to set ourselves up for the future. So I think we've, we did well in the building phase of Pandora and now we're kind of in the like preparing for the future phase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's such a great, great point. Cause it's such a shift as an entrepreneur. And I totally can resonate with that feeling of being like, here's my go. Here's my straightaway, right? Like here's my time to go push this to the limits, like build, build, build. And then you're like, wait a second what's the point of building it if I'm working for me? It's like, if I'm working from 7am to 11pm every day of the week, for what? Like where, huh? That's not why I'm working so hard. It's like, that's not the end goal at all. So hitting that shift of saying, okay, what do I want my day to day to look like? And what would be the ideal week or the ideal month on a financial basis, on a mental basis, on a creativity basis? Because creativity is one of those things that you can't just like flip a switch and turn it on. Right. Do you feel that too, Phoebe? Yeah. And I was going to say, I admire the travel that you've worked into your career. Like that's something we are trying to lean into more too, is like when we get to travel to all these places, like maybe we'll have a, a day or two to actually explore. Cause it's like, what's the point of going to cool places if you like, you know, you're only in a dark room painting and don't get right. to see the outside light. <laughs> so um, yeah, like we were saying, like maybe bringing our well, Roxy's now husband and my fiance along for like a, a trip at some point. And like, we add some vacation days onto it, like padding things to make them more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Because it's less, less about the work-life balance for me of like Monday through Friday versus Saturday, Sunday. And I just had this conversation with my sister. She's a wedding planner. And so when I travel for work, she comes with me. When she travels for work, I go with her. Oh, nice. And now same thing. We've like kind of padded it around, you know, I'm going um, to Miami for a wedding. And so she's coming with me and we're going to spend a few days doing work stuff. And you kind oh, of balance it, balance it out that way, right? Because then yeah. you can find find ways to kind of, and that's, I think, left over from my travel mentality of doing the digital nomad stuff where I would go to a place for like six to eight weeks. And like, I was still working Monday through Friday, but then you worked so that you could go ride ATVs on the volcano or that you could go ziplining that afternoon. And so you find your pockets of work around that. That's like the greatest freedom, right? It's fun. It's exciting. I'm, I'm hoping that travel comes back in the way that we used to know it. Right. right? <laughs> Which is kind of also the big rain cloud on the whole thing. All right. Do you have any trips lined up besides I Miami? I do. Yeah, yeah. So my sister and I, again, we both work for ourselves. So we can travel on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and work from nice. – We love working yeah. from an airline lounge. Um, but we <laughs> created an entire Google Doc for the whole year and then put in all the dates that we're going places and then started sending it to all of our friends saying like anyone that wants to come, these are now like open girls trips, like come hang out cool. with us and travel oh, with us. Oh, that's awesome. So that's been really exciting too. So we're going to New Orleans. Um, I'm going to Cabo, Miami. My sister has two other weddings in Cabo. We've got Flagstaff, Arizona. Like we want to get back over to Europe. Like it's stacked. It's a stacked calendar, but it's also super motivating, right? Because mm -hmm. now you're like, I got to get my jobs done so that I can go play. Like that kind of has right. that effect as well. It's really, it's a good time. I love like a love travel that. work hybrid. Yeah, mm -hmm. the best, the best, the best. Um, the topic of this podcast, the theme of it is really three sections, branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship, right? So with branding, obviously that's, that's what I do. That's what my team and I do. 
we're really focusing on working with what we call like brag worthy brands, meaning that you're so excited about the brand. It's not just basic, but it's brag worthy. It's like to that next level where you want to tell everyone about it. So how would you describe Pander as a brag worthy brand? Because I I have my opinions and I think it's your aesthetic. Like I think <laughs> people see the Pander vibe and they say, that's it. That's what I want. But I wonder about you guys. Like, what do you think makes you guys like brag worthy muralists? Um, well, I think our brand is, it, well, it's clearly heavily tied into who Phoebe and I are as people. So I love that our brand is very authentic to us. We put our personality into everything we do and it's a very like either love it or you hate it. And mm-hmm. both <laughs> are very vocal about how they feel about us. Um, but luckily a lot of our clients, they just love that we are, you know, open about sharing the process. We're open about talking about numbers and they love our bright color palettes that we create goofy TikToks and reels and stuff like, you know, stuffy clients don't really, they're not attracted to us because that's just not our vibe and they immediately know that. So um, I think people like our personality being tied into it and we tend to work with brands that are very authentic themselves. So I think like like like-minded people are attracted to us. Absolutely. Phoebe, did you have more input on that one? We're fun. (laughs) We're a good time. Our clients always want to be friends with us. Yes, exactly. They like want to take us out for drinks and we're like, we're tired. (laughs) Isn't that like, again, if we're building our dream lives here, isn't that ideal? Like, wouldn't you want to work with people that you want to go get a cocktail with or a beer with at the end of the day and not someone who you you feel distant from or you feel like you don't understand or you're not on their level? Like, I love that I can be like on text texting basis with my favorite, favorite clients and send them resources or like, you got to listen to this podcast or this audiobook is perfect for you or even sending them funny things. Like it's cool to have that close of a relationship with your clients because then again, like to kind of tear down those walls, then their success is your success and, and back and forth. Right. Totally. Yeah. No, that's a really good, a good uh, way to be about it as well. I, I love that you said that you have some people that love it and some that hate it. Because yeah. I describe that with my own aesthetic as well, where my website is like, there's a lot of yellow. So if you hate yellow, you're going to have a right. real bad time. And that's kind, of, that's kind of on purpose. Like now I've kind of used it as almost like a booby trap, like a scare tactic. Like mm-hmm. if this isn't what you're looking for, then that's fine. But yeah. So tell us how, how that feedback, is that getting mostly through social that you're getting that feedback? Yes. Yes. We haven't had too many negative client experiences like yeah those are at a minimum but the, the I mean the people who are most vocal about negative stuff it's it's always on social of course um, and to the point of like kind of being an extreme brand I mean I think when you're starting out you're more likely to take on all the sorts of clients or just try mm-hmm. to be the perfect fit for everyone but then you're also kind of being nothing at the same time if you're doing if you're trying to do everything. So um, we're okay with at this point, just saying, you know what, we're not the right fit. So (laughs) this isn't going to work. (laughs) And you guys have some great stories of people coming up to you in person too, because there's that whole live activation part of it. Right. And the, the, I love watching your guys' TikToks where you talk about like the one-liners that people drop, but if they haven't seen your TikToks, what are some of the consistent comments you get when you're on the job, physically painting from like Mm -hmm. passerbys? Yeah. So it's a lot of like a very specific demographic that likes to say certain phrases like, you know, middle-aged, older, 
straight white men typically that are think they're very funny how, by telling us. How big us, of you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so specific. Us, yeah. 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 You know, you missed a spot. You're doing it wrong. You spelled it wrong. Or like just any kind of snarky comment that's like, they're just trying to get like a little rise out of you, which is like very on brand for them. Yes, of course. But then we'll also have other sexist comments from men that think they're being nice by being like, oh, you shouldn't be up there on a, the scaffold or scissors by yourself. Like, let me do that for you. And we're like, why would you be more qualified to do my job than me? Right. Sir. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then they get offended when you say it's sexist. Yeah. Or like just questioning, like, are you sure you can carry that? Are you sure you're able to use that scissor lift? Just like constantly being questioned and it gets really old. Yeah. That's got to be <laughs> kind of grating after a while, no? Oh, yeah. I don't think in the history of our career there's ever been one woman that has said, you missed a spot to us. So it really is. It's this is based on facts. <laughs> yeah. No, and and we get it in logo design too. And I know you guys do a, a fair amount of logo design as well, where you'll send a client their logo and they'll show it. They're like, "Well, my husband thinks it looks like this," and it's like, "Well, is your right. husband buying your skincare product?" I don't exactly. Think so. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're not. Like, you described your demo as being 25 year old female, so I don't know that that fits your husband. But it's funny because you know, those like unsolicited opinions. And when you ask people opinions about creative work in general, you're going to get a myriad of answers, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to get like the whole slew of it. Um, but I think how you channel it, I think you guys should just print t-shirts with every phrase that everyone's ever said to you to wear <laughs> on site. Just like quotation, quotation, yeah. like it's been said, like save your, save the air, right? Like don't yeah. even worry about it. Cause that could be a, a fun little uh, opportunity, but marketing mm -hmm. has also changed a lot in the last I would say even five years since you, so if we're looking from like 2015 to now, what would you say are like the channels that make you most excited? Or if you were to start over again today, what are some of the marketing channels you'd pursue first? Yeah, I would say that TikTok is A, the most fun, B, like it, you actually see a lot more growth on there. I, I don't know if it's accurate, but I saw a TikTok that said that TikTok got more traffic than Google last than year. Google. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's just a great place to be growing and expanding. Like I haven't posted on Instagram for like a week and like, it just dread the thought of posting on Instagram because it's like, what's the point? Like, and where did know. that shift even happen? Like I'm trying to pinpoint when we all, cause this is a consistent thing, mm -hmm. at least in my circles or, or creatives I talk to about like, since when did Instagram get so shitty or was it always shitty? And now because we have TikTok by comparison, we're like, Oh right. yeah, no, we weren't having a good time here at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, we used to be obsessed with Instagram right. and talk about Same. like if Instagram died, our business would be dead. But right. like now it's like, I mean, we still do get a lot of work from there. And like, it is nice to connect with certain people like you and like our followers that we've been following forever. Of course. But, and it feels like more of a community than TikTok to me. But um, yeah, it's just not as fun anymore. I can't remember what year it was when it stopped, but Roxy and I used to talk about this on Sunday evenings used to be like the key time to post and your posts would always do really well. And I saw, like, I remember seeing consistent growth. Like, um, yeah. so I don't know if you knew this, but like Roxy was my Instagram guru. So I learned everything from her and like, I put all of her tools to work and like, yeah, it was consistent. Like I grew the only growth that I've seen recently on Instagram was like one or two reels and they right. randomly got us like 
a couple thousand followers, which was like insane growth. Of course. Because <laughs> it's Instagram. so rare now on Instagram. Yeah. It's so rare. Yeah. It is kind of this weird thing because now my team, we're running Instagram for brands. So we have six different brands that we run their Instagram and some of them we run their TikTok as well. Cool. And I'm so gung-ho and trying to get them all to switch to TikTok. I'm just like, you mm-hmm. know what? Like for how much Instagram demands of you to keep up on their platform, right? Like the yeah. posts, the reels, the stories, engagement, lives, mm-hmm. like, and you guys go live a decent amount as well. It's hard to see a return on your time. Mm-hmm. So like I had a resource, a digital resource to sell. I posted on my Instagram and of my 12,000 followers, 400 people saw it. I posted the same kind of content to TikTok 40,000 views and 15 sales. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, like why, <laughs> why I got to go where the data is. But part of me, like yeah. my heart hurts. Cause I'm like, yeah. I used to love Instagram. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I literally lose a hundred followers every time I post. <laughs> okay. This is the kind of stuff that's really humbling though. Like this is the kind of stuff that I think people need to hear is like, it's not just a, their content problem. It's an everybody problem with Instagram and that it's, it, the platform itself has changed. So I agree with you, TikTok all the way. Have you guys started exploring into like NFTs, metaverse, digital art stuff? Roxy did this week. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, uh, unfortunately, where it seems like things are going. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm sure you were, I don't know, like us, like resistant to TikTok and now you love it. I'm like trying to be like, okay, maybe I'll love getting into NFTs, even though like, it hurts my brain to think about it. I don't want to be a part of a metaverse, but it seems like that's where things are going. So trying to embrace it. It's both terrifying and I get excited about it. I see it as like a first market opportunity because right. for mm-hmm. artists, and we're talking about artists making income, you can make income on your digital art, on your NFT in perpetuity. So instead of just making the sale from the one-time sale of $10,000 of this piece of art, Every single time that art changes hands, you can get royalties from it because they can track that. So what I was listening to yesterday, I was in like a Twitter space of people talking about NFTs, was that this has like incredible earning potential for artists because Mm -hmm. you have that authentic authentication of your artwork. So that concept is really interesting to me because it's all existing on the blockchain. Right. Have you sold any yet? I have not. I've been like dabbling. I've been like circling around it. I've yet to upload one to OpenSea. Um, But I'm excited about it for the potential for brands, of course, and like getting their brand to exist in that capacity. And so my wheels have been spinning on that recently. It's like all I can think about. Are we totally screwed if we don't promote whatever NFTs on Twitter? Because Roxy and I have never had a Twitter. No. And I'm not a big Twitter person either. I don't think that you're totally screwed. I think that you're going to, we're going to start to see as we're realizing with Instagram being like two weeks to three weeks behind TikTok and then Mm -hmm. Twitter also being a little bit faster than Instagram. I think it's going to become part of the Instagram conversation in the next six months. People will say like, oh, go check out my NFTs on OpenSea and like you can collect them. But you can also like Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, just sold a book and if you bought 12 of his books, hard copy in real life, he gifted you an NFT. So mm. he made like a limited collection NFT as like a collector's item. And he's like big into the baseball card stuff. But you can think about it as like another way to be a brand ambassador if you can own like the collector's item of Pander. Or if Got you it. guys did a mural for a brewery and then you also digitized it and you sold them the NFT of that artwork plus any like complimentary artwork, 
then they could decide if they wanted to sell that or gift it to their top investors or whoever. Like there's a lot of that potential for brand growth, community growth, I think, in the NFT yeah. space. Yeah. Okay. So another reason the three of us need to get into it too is because it's so it's such a bro-y space, like every yes, other exactly. thing. And I you only see dudes right now in their profile having like NFT artists. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's so annoying. It, like, it's cringe to me. So I, I know. just want to Let's just take over. Come on. And the other time it was super cringe was in this Twitter space yesterday because they were like, yeah, anybody can make NFT art. And actually the stuff that's out there is really, quote, bad. So that should just prove to you that anyone can make art. And I was just like, I get what you're saying, but also that completely (laughs) belittles the artist. Right. Like if you and your subjective think that it's bad art or it's dumb art, and they were talking about Bored Ape, which is like the top selling NFT right now, which is the illustration of the ape, the one that like Jimmy Fallon bought. Like, and they're like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just, but it's the same conversation of that we have about the fine arts. Yeah. It's like that, you know, somebody tapes a banana to the gallery wall and all of a sudden everyone's having a fit about it. It's like, well, who are you to say if that's art or not? Like, exactly. It's there's so much more than that. And I think the people that look at it at face value and want to dismiss it as being not more than it is are are missing the point in a major way. But maybe that's my like art history major getting fired up. (laughs) (laughs) Like the cultural implications of art. But yeah, it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. But we should have a group think a little powwow. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Definitely, definitely. Does loop me back around and is related to the next question that I had for you guys, which is the idea of an original idea. So the book Steal Like an Artist is like a very popular book. And it basically tells us that there's no such thing as an original idea. Um, So as entrepreneurs, of course, we're just like, and as artists, we're the summary of all of our lived experiences, right? So you may go on a trip, be inspired by tile that you see in Portugal, and then be doing a brand design project six months from now and say, oh, I could totally pull in this style influence because it works for this brand in this type of way. Or at least that's how I approach a lot of my creative work. So how do you tackle on your own side, like which ideas are worth pursuing or which ideas, and I have this phenomenon where I start designing something and I'm like, this looks too much like something I've already seen and I need to go somewhere else with it. So how do you kind of navigate that path of, I want to do what's trendy and current and I want to do something that pushes the boundaries and maybe is a little bit more obscure? Yeah. So with our work, it's nice that when we're painting murals and designing murals, we're constantly working with different industries, different brands, different goals for the project, different demographic they're trying to target. So our work always ends up being different just based on whatever client we're working with and their needs. And you know, sometimes you can see like, oh, that clearly looks like something Pander did color-wise or whatever. We ha- we use a lot of bright colors, but sometimes we'll do something completely different just based on the brand. So it's just, it's such a collaborative process between Phoebe and I and between us and our client that like, we're always creating something new and different, even if we're not like, you know, there might be an idea that we've pitched so many times and we keep submitting the same art to different clients, mm-hmm. but they won't accept it. And so it's like, it's kind of freeing that it's not totally under our control, like, because it is such a collaboration. So, you know, I don't know. It's like, what do you think, Phoebe? Yeah, it ends up being a mishmash of just a lot of people's ideas at the end. So, like, that could be a good or a bad thing. Sometimes we end up <laughs> lo- loving the result and sometimes we're like, wow, this is all the all the freaky things we didn't want it to be. But yeah, it is tough. I mean, there's a lot of amazing 
murals out there. So it's hard to like not want to, you know, take inspiration from them. But um, yeah, I just like trying to do different things at the end that make it your own. Ours usually ends up having type in it. So that's a way that we usually make it different, but we're trying to get away from type now. So. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Can you tell us about Ladies Who Paint? R.I.P. R.I.P. No, I kind of heard it was might be on might be far gone, but I loved the whole concept of it. Yeah, so did we. So this is an example of maybe don't listen to your own ideas um, and don't try to do everything. So I mean, do what you want. But um, Phoebe and I had this really um, beautiful vision of creating something that empowered women and. We did it for three years, and it was the first ever all-female mural festival that we did for two years. We did two different festivals, and unfortunately, we just didn't get enough support from City of San Diego, from sponsors, and it just made us both want to, like, crawl into a cave (laughs) and scream forever. So, um, (laughs) unfortunately, it sucks when you have this, like, really beautiful vision of something that you want to create that is such a good thing. And it just, you don't get the support. So yeah. Nonprofits is such a hard space to be in. My family owns a nonprofit as well alongside their business. So they have the Savvy Interiors, which is the interior design business, Savvy Giving by Design. They do room makeovers for children facing like life-threatening illnesses and injury. And same thing. It's really hard. It's it's really exciting when people are on board and they're like full steam ahead and they like want to support the idea and they're gung-ho about it. But the amount of stamina it takes to retain people's attention in the nonprofit space is unreal. Like the mental fortitude you have to have to keep getting no, 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 no over and over again. So I commend you girls for trying because that's a, such a big undertaking. Totally. Thank you. Yeah, it oh. it really was. And I mean, the, we're like, obviously, it's fresh wounds. So we're feeling <laughs> yeah. it's it's a failure. But I mean, there was a lot of wins that happened. So I mean, we did install what, like 22 murals around? Yeah, 23. I think it ended up 23 being. in downtown San Diego or surrounding neighborhoods. Um, so yeah, there and we met a lot of awesome people. So there's there's some good that came out of it. It just sucks. Like, uh, cause Roxy and I pride ourselves in like making things happen. And, right, uh, right. there was just a lot of forces against us. I mean, there was a material shortage, so we didn't get any of the paint donated this year. Like we didn't get anything donated this year because it's just, yeah, like, with the material shortage and the pandemic and the freeze and everything, like it was, it was crazy. Well, it doesn't mean it has to go away forever, right? It could be resurrected down the road at some point. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll resurrect in like pr- probably a different way. I different mean, capacity. it's it's so connected to just what we do daily at Pander. So, of course, um, yeah. I mean, we're just continually trying to build artists up. So, do they need to be doing murals in downtown San Diego to make that happen? Not necessarily. So, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that that does kind of. I see what you're saying. Where you've got on the one hand you want people to get their work out there and get exposure. Like the exposure conversation is also something that we, we should touch on of, of striking that balance of like being involved, knowing what opportunities are the right opportunities to be involved in. Because of course, like ladies who paint is a slam dunk. Like that's for someone who's starting their starting or is an established muralist, like seems like a total win-win, but how do you kind of like 
again, balance that with your own mission as well as Pander. Do you feel right. that they were in opposition or do they, you feel like they were running parallel to each other? I definitely parallel, but parallel, but on the exposure side, yeah, there was a little bit of opposition in that. Like we wish we were having funds to pay the funds artists to, pay to do this. Right. Yeah. So, but for people listening and we're like, what? You're going to pay them? Like the idea is they got to do whatever they want. So complete right. creative freedom and right. all materials, everything was paid for plus meals, et cetera. And, you know, we got them lots of other fun gifts, but yeah, like I would, it was like opposition that way. Like I, I wish we could given every artist like $20,000. So, yeah, but course. yeah, of course. So. And I wish every designer in my Facebook group, I could just take them under my wing as a mentee and tell them all my secrets. <laughs> like, right, and like right, have unlimited yeah. hours in the day to share them everything so that they could start their business better than I started mine. Right. Um, I get that feeling completely. It's a very like helpless kind of feeling. Cause you're like, God, I've got all the good intentions in the world and not enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I feel that. If someone were to start a mural- muraling business and they've been following you and maybe they're a designer, they're a painter, and they're like, gosh, I'm dying to get my work onto a physical wall somewhere. What's some advice that you wish you would have learned before you started or some warnings or any other words, sage words of wisdom? First off, don't do any murals for free for businesses. If you want to practice, do one in your home, do one from friends' home, family, or donate one to a school in need. Um, But don't do free work for businesses ever, ever, ever. Download our free pricing guide that's on our website. It'll give you all the information you need about what to price because people tend to price too long. Like, We'll get people like the example you said, they're a designer, they're a painter, and they just haven't painted on a wall. That doesn't mean they don't have experience, but a lot of people say like, oh, I have no experience. Like, did you not go to school for design? You've been painting for 10 years, but you're telling me you have no experience. That's like in your own head, your own insecurity. That's like, it's the way you present yourself. So again, you have to be your number one hype person, see the value in yourself more than anyone else so that you can, you know, and even if you have to fake it till you make it like fake that confidence, portray that confidence, that value, even if you don't fully believe it yourself, you will get there, but don't do work for free. Yes. Agreed. Phoebe, did you have any nuggets of wisdom to share? Yeah. Channel that old white man energy, the same, the same, (laughs) the same guy that's telling you that you missed a spot. Just pretend you're him. And it really is that like, um, we've gotten in trouble for saying fake it till you make it for some people. Like, yeah, we're, we're not saying go out there and try to paint. Don't lie, but like go out there with confidence. Yeah. I wouldn't try using a boom lift for to paint a 12 story building the first mural you ever painted. Like obviously start small, but um, you'll be surprised where it'll get you. I mean, we had just, you know, maybe two or three murals in our portfolio when we started doing outreach and outreach meaning cold emailing businesses. And we just, it really got the ball, ball rolling. And all of a sudden, like last year, we did 50 some murals. So amazing. Amazing. Outreach yeah. is a big part of your business too. I know you guys talk about this on your platforms. How how do you go about that? And how did you grapple with the rejection of the first few no's or the ones that you thought were a slam dunk that didn't go through? So people don't really, there really isn't much rejection when it comes to outreach. People will just either not respond to you, which like, who cares? Um, or they'll just say like, 
cool work, but we just don't have a need for that right now. No one's really saying like, are you kidding me? Why would you email me? Your work is horrible. <laughs> like, I think that's what everyone thinks is going to happen, that's but fear. that's not yeah. what happens. Um, for the most part, people respond nicely and they, you know, they're like, I'd love to hear more about what you do. And like, sometimes they just don't have the budget available for murals or design or whatever. And that's totally fine. It's like, it's honestly a good thing for them to reject you faster because you're not wasting your time. You're not wasting their time. And you can just move on to the clients that do want to work for you. And when you do outreach, you have the power. You're not being passive and waiting around for clients. You're going after the target demographic, the target clients that you know are a good fit for you. And there are so many clients out there like I don't care if a client doesn't want to work with us because I know that it's just my job to keep reaching out to find the ones that do want to work with us. And we don't really need to be doing outreach as much now because we get more inquiries. But last year we made 100K from outreach jobs. Yeah, I think that's really important to note. I think it's also, it's a factor of like being able to show what you can do. And I say this all the time on my with my podcast and on TikTok Live and stuff. If people say, "Oh, do, is it really important to have a portfolio?" It's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> like you've got to be able to show that you can do what you say you do. Like, and this is what we say about fake it till you make it. Of course, put case study projects in your portfolio, put passion projects in your portfolio, but show that you know like what you're doing enough to make somebody then say huh, if they did that for them, I bet you they could do that for me and kind of pose that question to themselves, right? Yep. Yeah, the, the portfolio work is, is a big part of it as well. Um, what's next for Pander? What is on, what are those big 2022 goals? Um, where can we see you guys? You said that you're starting to take care of yourselves. I know you guys are big massage fans. I am as well. I love like a weekly <laughs> yeah. massage. Um, what are some of those bigger goals for the company? So we're going to try to keep checking off more states, um, which is what we're doing um, right now while we're at home, just uh, working hard on outreach. So we're painting in Connecticut. It looks like we got Rhode Island, um, maybe hit up a few more on the East Coast. And we are going to continue to put this out into the universe that we want a TV show. Hell yeah. So that's, that's still out there. Financial goals, we would love to make a million dollars. What other goals? Amazing. Yeah, I definitely think we're going to break seven figures this year. It's our seventh year of business. Makes sense. I love that. Um, And yeah, just continue to educate more. You know, we put out our first book this just this past fall and um, just want to keep growing that and have more people buy it, book tour potentially, um, more book signing events as we're traveling, but you know, who knows with freaking COVID (laughs) who would be your guys's dream client. If they said, we want to hire you guys to do a mural in all 50 locations of our blank. Mm. Do you have an idea of who that might be? What company? That is a good question. It's hard because I just feel like we just checked it off with Reese Witherspoon. We just painted a mural. Right. Huge. Yeah. So that was really amazing. Um, we're flirting with her though. We want to paint at the Draper James store in Nashville and she has another location in, in Kentucky. So, I mean, she has one in Texas as well. Oh, in Texas too. Okay. Uh Well then, yeah, we Mm -hmm. could, we could do every Draper James. That sounds (laughs) like a great idea. Absolutely. I could totally see it. I could see you guys doing murals for like all birds. The shoes. Ooh, oh, that'd be cool. Or Warby yeah. Parker yeah. or like one of these brands that has yeah. like flagship stores all over. And you mm-hmm. do something like a little bit made well. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. like a hotel group. 
Oh, yeah. Hotel groups would be awesome because then we can just stay there. Stay and- there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a slam dunk. Yeah. We, um, we did get to paint at a hotel once in Scottsdale and we got to stay in their uh, VIP suite. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, what is that called? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like the ones that have washer and dryers and like full kitchens. It's like, amazing. It's so insane. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, where can everyone find you, follow you, connect with you, reach out to you for a project? Maybe Reese Witherspoon's listening and now she's like, okay, sold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay, fine. Do Draper James then. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that we go live a lot on our Pander Instagram. So you can find us on Pander Design Co. on Instagram and come in. We're usually going live when we're in the office and we're just answering questions, but we have all of them saved. So you can go watch those if you need advice. And then TikTok, we are Roxy Prima is mine and Phoebe says Phoebe Cornog. Same with our personal Instagrams. And then our book is everywhere. Will you guys change your names when you're, well, cause Roxy, you just got married and then Phoebe, you're engaged. Are you keeping your, your name as it is, or will you be changing your profile names as well? Um, so I just added, I'm, my last name is now hyphenated. Um, okay, nice. Prima Johnson now. So I just, fabulous. thank you. I <laughs> added the, um, hyphen to my name, but I'm keeping my usernames. Nice. Good idea. You too, Phoebe? I don't know. So as you can imagine, Cornog is a tough name <laughs> and I've like, I it's, I've carried with me for 31 years and always have gotten corndog. So am I, my fiance's last name is Nelson and Phoebe Nelson does have a nice ring to it. But yeah, I don't know. I, we just, we just like shit on Instagram for like an hour. So I feel like it doesn't, <laughs> no, we don't care. No one will care right. if I change my username to Phoebe Nelson. So yeah. Yeah. yeah so funny. Yeah. No, it is, it is an interesting question. Cause I've named my business MKW Creative Co. for my initials. I'm yeah. like, damn, I really got to cut down my dating pool to the W's. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't have to change it, um, which was funny. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for you guys both. Congratulations to you both as well. Thank I love you. Thank you. And everything you guys have got going on. And yeah, guys, reach out to both Phoebe and Roxy. Follow Pander and, and we'll catch you next time. Toodles. Thanks, Thank ladies. You. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, of course, and it would mean the world to me if you would go ahead and leave us a review and follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, really. The Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. We'll catch you next time.